And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show, presented by RIA Advisors. Well, it's finally Friday. What a long week. Was it a long week? I don't know. It felt like it was. Man, I feel like days are flying by here well, lately. Well, usually that's how it feels. I don't know. Huh. So, what a good week here. We've got producer price index month over month for January coming out. So, as we've been saying on this Friday show, there is no rush to lower rates. Sticky price CPI year over year, 4.6%. Trim mean CPI, 4.9% change over the last 12 months. We have gone from transitory to permatory to stuck to suppository. Because this inflation is a pain in the donkey. <laughs> Rich Rosso, Danny Ratliff, CFP squared. Be prepared today. I'm in an ordinary mood. <laughs> well, so, so Rich, you think about what's right. going on, right? Retail yeah. sales obviously revised down in December. Mm -hmm. This last one, a little bit more than anticipated. Is this due to seasonality? Because you think it would be the opposite. I mean, everybody keeps talking about it. It's like, is this an aberration? And right. usually you would think it would be the opposite direction. It would be much stronger than anticipated. Right. You wouldn't be revising numbers down, but be revising them up. Yet, core CPI relatively really almost, what, double their target, 3.9%. Mm -hmm. um, you've got PPI this morning, which is the Fed's main inflation uh, yeah, see, measure. See where inflation is in the pipeline. I just think this is stubborn. Yeah. We've talked about this stubbornness of inflation because we are dealing, and I know the Fed doesn't care about this, but a bucket of inflation for things that you use every day that is not dissipating. The inflation is not disappearing. Insurance, food prices, rents. I understand that's contractual. Rents can pull back. I get that. I personally don't think rents are going to fall that much. I think millennials are in the prime for buying homes or, you know, moving out, whatever it is. I just think that rents are not going to fall here as dramatically. So I don't, I don't see rates going up, but I certainly don't see a rush to lower rates, which means the market has to just regage. It has to look at the reality as opposed to the euphoric, uh, attitude it had and what it was looking at. And then obviously it bounced right back up. So as soon as those retail sales came in weaker than expected, right, we were off to the races again. So this morning futures are pretty flat waiting for these, uh, waiting for these uh, producer price index numbers. We have the consumer confidence, consumer sentiment coming in, 79 expected. I'm surprised it's not like 29. 79 white who are all you happy people what are you doing <laughs> but wouldn't you have thought that so, retail sales numbers if they're weaker than expected uh -huh. right follow me on this one Re okay. weaker than expected retail sales this is this a conspiracy theory thing no oh, okay, no no okay. conspiracy okay. just okay, thinking right. out loud here. i'm following you but yeah you have so you have weaker retail sales you also have which would indicate there may be more pressure to cut in the future right 
Which is why the market liked it, right? But which is why you would think the rates would have declined instead of going up. <laughs> right. That's what should have happened, right? Yeah. So the bond market's telling you something different. Well, in the short term, right? Maybe it's thinking term. PPI is going to be yeah. more stubborn as well. And these day-to-day kind of movements are really difficult. And so you can't look too far into it because, you know, man, trying to rationalize this sometimes. It's crazy. Yeah. And, and in the short term, bond yields are going to do what they do, right? Obviously, we're going to be paying $1.1 trillion in debt service. It's going to be higher than the defense, the level of what we pay in defense. Wow. That's sort of scary. Yeah. Uh, that could keep yields higher. But longer term, yields will head back down because you just have the headwinds there to do it. I really do like Federal Reserve Bank uh, President Raphael Bostic. Um, I like a lot of his papers. Uh, he comes out with an Atlanta Fed Weekly um, that I get, and I read through the stuff that he writes and his people write. Very good. And he's talking about, listen, there's no need to cut rates because it's based on the labor market. Yes, we're seeing layoffs. Absolutely. But for the most part, the labor market is still strong on many metrics. Therefore, why do I need to cut rates? Inflation trend is heading to 2%. What I'm saying is it might take a lot longer to get to that level. Thus, why would I cut rates? I, I don't see this jump to do it. I don't see this excitement to do it unless there's something out there. Uh, liquidity conditions are fine. So this stubbornness is something the market is going to have to digest. I still uh, think they cut rates this year. Do you? I do. I do. I, and, and I say be, they don't. We'll because. See we'll see. I, I say they don't cut them at all. Now, you don't I know think at all? Say, no. I don't think okay. they cut them at all. I don't think they cut them at all. I think there's still too much cash. Now, again, I'm not, I'm like, I'm like the lonely little girl crying in the corner all by myself. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, I think they're talking about two rate cuts, right? Well, at I mean, least initially two it was cuts. three to four. Well, now it's maybe two. I, it, and here's the kicker is that they will likely have mm-hmm. to do something to try to execute this quote unquote soft landing. Yeah. So it may not be that there's just economic devastation and they're cutting rates substantially. And it also doesn't mean that yields won't fall on their own because we have to remember the short end of the yield curve is where right. the Fed controls. Mm-hmm. The long end of it is going to be if we do start to see that stubbornness dissipate a tad bit and we see CPI, PPI start to decline even more, then we're going to see those yields for looking at long-term growth. Mm-hmm. Those longer-term yields will automatically begin to drop. Yeah. Now, Bostic is very pragmatic. I think he's one of the more pragmatic kind of Fed, uh, Fed representatives. And he says, hey, listen, we're, we're thinking by third quarter, we're going to have at least first one, one cut. And that projected two cuts for 2024. And yeah. that, that's the last uh, quarterly set of economic projections by the Fed. So, and I, I think that that's makes the sense. expectation. I just, I don't know. I well, think people are still going to be out there spending. I don't see what slows it down. Um, I, I still think labor markets are tight. So we'll see. We'll just see where this goes. It's just going to be very interesting to see how long it takes to get to the target. And not only that, over the last three years, the overall level of inflation is up close to 18%. And that's not going backwards. So even though the rate of change is getting to a target, you are still going to feel the pain. I got my auto insurance renewal yesterday. I'm like, what? Oh, no. How bad was it? 20% higher. Oh, 
it's not not as bad as some of the ones I've seen. I understand, but <laughs> yeah, I know that's that stinks. I mean, so what do you do? People, so what do you do when you do this? Because I've, I've had that question. I've actually I've had that question twice this week. Like, hey, you know, how do you shop insurance? I have to say, I have a friend that works in insurance. He says, listen, you can try to get mm-hmm. a better rate, but this is wholesale. These are wholesale increases across the board. Thus, I, do you are you okay with the service you're getting? If you're getting the service that you want from, well, the hopefully insurance. you don't have to get any service. Yeah, ideally. but when you need it, you want to make sure they're there. Correct. But so you are. But if you, it does pay to shop. So we are in that environment. It does pay where to look just shop. to even get an idea of what the environment looks like. Absolutely, it pays to shop. He says you do that, but you might be disappointed yeah. because it's across the board. Listen, we're going to talk about sometimes it doesn't pay to delay. Social Security when we get back. Stay tuned. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. We're back. I think. So, we're going to have our next Candid Coffee coming up. And one of those things that we're going to talk about is this is the five money habits of unhappy couples, but we want to give you some constructive criticism on what to do. Guidance to make you happy couples. Now, you may feel that you and your spouse are doing a great job. And that, that's great. Uh, but what about your kids? Do you have adult children about to get married or looking to? What could they learn from this? So we hope you can tune in to February 24th, 8 o'clock, before you start your day next week. It's going to be good. Right, Danny? Because money habits, I think this is one of the most important can of coffees we're going to have. <clears throat> because if you're all not on the same page financially, it could destroy your wealth. If you don't understand both of your money scripts, how you feel about debt, if you're not aligned, see, it's either you're going to sink the ship or it's going to be a synergy and send you to another wealth planet. There's nothing in between when couples don't agree or they have different money philosophies. If you have even, I have stay-at-home spouses that say, oh, well, you know, he or she made all the money. No. If you weren't aligned together, you wouldn't have still done. In other words, your contributions, even though you were non-working, are still so important to the money philosophy of your household. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So it's not the fact that it's not from a financial perspective that you contributed. It's from the fact that you forged together on this path 
to make these plans work as opposed to one party working against you financially. And that is what we want to talk about. So disrespecting credit, keeping money secrets. I can't remember what it was, but how many couples sort of financially cheat on each other? Oh, financial it's, infidelity it's through the roof. Financial infidelity is one of the leading causes of divorce. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it is a big, big deal. And so if you're not completely aligned, this is really problematic. And I think that, you know, the intent is to say, OK, how how do we need to rethink this? Because so many people like you just mentioned, Rich, they think that, OK, this person was in the workforce. The other one stayed home, raised the family, the kids was a homemaker and they don't view it. I think the right way, because yep. you can't attach a price tag to that. Trust me. I know. Um, no, think about you and Michelle are very much a money aligned. Think about if you had a spouse that always worked against you, put more on credit card debt, maybe came into the marriage with a lot of debt, um, you know, did things. behind. I mean, think about yeah. no matter how much money you make, you got to you don't have a partner that's aligned. Correct. That can really destroy your wealth or and then again lead to possibly separation, divorce and more money. Yeah. But for the most part, during the marriage, if you think about it, if you didn't have someone that was following your money alignment, even your children would would suffer for that. I mean, the repercussions are dramatic. Yeah. And uh, well, it, it's passed on from generation to generation mm-hmm. because it's never it's not communicated well enough or at all sometimes. But that's the problem. I think that the communications the the number one failure of this all is that if you don't communicate about this, how can you get it right? You don't have that plan. Many people just kind of say, ah, I don't, I don't want to set that in place, but man, it, that could be a huge mistake. Yes. You know, it's, um, so we hope you, you sit in on that. This is a very informal thing we do with candid coffee. We have, um, a lots of questions and it's just like sitting with us at our kitchen table, having breakfast. So, an hour before you start your day, but those always really turn out well. So I just want to let everybody know that, hey, there's more to it than just the habits of unhappy couples, but we also have a whole set of ideas for you. And if not for you, for your kids or your grandkids. So when we do social security analysis, we always look at possibly delaying claiming, but we always, but there's a difference between delay to claim retirement benefits for social security or the optimal strategy for your situation. They could be very, very different. So the other day I had a couple, uh, one spouse who didn't pay in as much as the other, high earning mm-hmm. spouse. And we looked at the numbers. When I ran the numbers, it was actually best for, because she was younger, uh, the non-working spouse, and she had some money in Social Security, to start to actually taking her benefit at age 62. Actually okay. taking it early. Really? And him waiting till 70. Okay. Because of the cumulative amount of money between age 62 and when he was going to turn 70. The optimal and strategy. Moving on to the benefit. Right. Yep. Long term, the optimal strategy was not waiting. As long as they weren't working, right? Right. Yeah. That, right. So both had to be retired because if you did right. have no, these earned are both, income, these benefits are both retired. could be withheld. Right. Correct. So, so yeah, I just want to make sure that's really clear yeah. because I think there's a lot of people that decide, hey, I want to do exactly that. Yeah, but I'm going to go ahead and start they're, at 62. they're still working full time. Correct. Right. And then they have basically an earnings test where if you make too much, they start to withhold benefits from you and you've locked in a, a permanent discount on that. Absolutely. So 
there is going to be. So the whole goal is, it's 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 sort of somewhat extreme. Uh, when you get Social Security advice, it's either you take it early because it's going away, or you have to wait till seventy. Sometimes that works for single individuals, or uh, you know, even some married couples. But for the most part, you really have to understand how people have paid into this into it, and how it's going to work the best. Yeah, you know. So don't think that always it, that it's going to work. We have run numbers for people that have taken their full retirement age at sixty-seven, also based on lifestyle. Life expectancy, right? And what I want to stress about Social Security, this is not a break-even game. Like, oh, I got to live to age 83 to get all my money out. No. Social Security is a consumption asset. It's longevity risk insurance. So it's not even based on how long your parents lived. It's based on your current lifestyle and health at this point. And that of your spouse. How much that spouse is paid in? How much is that spouse younger, healthier than you? Did they make less than you, pay in less than you? Then your claiming strategy is going to be very, very important to the spouse you leave behind. Had a couple the other day. We're taking it to full retirement age because. We looked at the numbers and also this client still had and was planning to keep a million dollar permanent life insurance policy. So I took that into account, Danny. Okay. I said, hey, okay, most people at their age are not going to have life insurance policies, but they want to keep the life. So if he passes and she's younger, spouse is going to get a million dollars. So I'm like, okay, I could take that money and annuitize it. Yep. Right? I have this bucket of money she's going to get. So even though they're taking it at full retirement age, I, I usually don't have life insurance in the well, equation. You have, that, you have something to bridge the gap. Yeah, I, ha I usually don't have something to bridge the gap. Yeah. But here I do. So I decided that when we looked at the numbers, it wasn't the most optimal strategy. But with the life insurance and with the annuitization of that over time, just estimating, we were fine. So everybody's situation is different. You can't just say delaying always makes sense. You have to look at times when the, the, the claiming or the combination of claiming strategies gets you to ultimately the most money at the end of both lives. So let's have clients who need the money and they're not working. They're physically disabled. They take it at 62. Yeah, you've got to sometimes. I mean, sometimes you got to put food on the table. You're going to do it. It, it. it makes sense. No cash flow in my household. Yeah, you, you've yeah. got to be careful with this because, you know, some of these headlines are so definitive. They are. And I think they're and looking for be. clickbait. Yes. You know, you have to wait until 70. Or I see the opposite, right? Take Social Security as early as you can. take it now, right? Yeah. And it is so different for each and every person and, and family. And so make sure you understand the ins and outs. Make sure that you're thinking about yourself and your, your spouse, if you're married, on what is the best way to do so. Because you know, there's a lot of money left on the table with emotional decisions yep. versus like, you know, how many times have you seen somebody say, well, I'm getting all I can out of it. I'm taking it right away. And you're like, well, that may not be the case. <laughs> Maybe you want to delay. But 
like you said, maybe you just need to take it early. There's nothing wrong with that either. What I find, couples that, one, have very active lifestyles, they have both maxed into the system. They have substantial IRA assets. Most of their money is pre-tax. They retire way before required minimum distribution age, say 73. Mm-hmm. Their claiming strategy to wait until age 70 makes heck of a lot of sense. They both claim on each on their own records. And they're drawing down the IRA as a bridge strategy to pay their monthly expenses so they're doing it before the government does and maybe pushing up a little bit to the top end of the next bracket and converting some of that money to Roth. So what I notice with two higher paying couples, you know, both maxed out the system and in good health, most of the time it pays for them to wait. Yeah, but you said 73. For most people, I'm finding that a lot of people still don't know, right? Let's Secure talk about Act, that on the other side of the change, bank. Because you're change, right. A yeah. lot of people don't realize when how the required minimum distribution ages are going to change for IRA withdrawals. We'll touch on that when we get back. Stay tuned. Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. Nothing sinks a marriage quicker than money issues. If the Valentine's Day glow has faded, promise you'll respect your lover's credit. Communicate about your money and share together our first candid coffee for 2024. Five money habits of unhappy couples. Saturday, February 24th. Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff will have money tips to help revive your financial harmony. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. Five money habits of unhappy couples. Candid coffee with Ratliff and Rosso. realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. You know, listen, everybody talking about AI and so in love with this whole AI narrative. And AI is really not that smart because think of the dummies putting the information in. Like AI still doesn't know how to use to, to, there, there, your, your. So AI was given a project. Put messages on candy hearts for Valentine's Day. You remember those? I never ate those. Brent's probably eating enough hearts to, uh, I, I, I don't, I, they never looked appetizing to me from a, you know, and I was a big candy freak. They didn't seem like I really wanted to um, eat those. They're not candy corn. Oh, look at Brent's no, got Brent actually Brent has, has a bag of candy hearts. Oh my right. goodness gracious. Uh, oh, geez. well. We have a whole desk full of. Um, I will tell you. Oh, look at this. All right. I got a good one. See what kind of message I have on mine? Text me. (laughs) Oh, you know what? Those are not bad, Brent. I've got one that says goat. 
they, they've changed what they put on here. I don't ever remember. Wow, you can really taste the chemicals. I feel like Dow Chemical made this. Lance, did your dad make candy hearts? Oh, they were made right in the plant. Do you want to hear some of the messages on these candy hearts that, that AI wrote? They're probably not much better than these. Actually, they are better. Mm. Candy hole. <laughs> Mouthy hamster. Hmm. T-Rex. No blinking. So be it. Uh, okay, bro. Okay, bro. All hail the chicken. That's my favorite. I don't know who the chicken is. Uh, woof, hoof, hoof. What the heck? Bath towels. <laughs> now, here's one I would have given to my ex. Biohazard. Um, so, you know, just when you think AI is so smart, it's really not. It's really not at all. <laughs> my gosh, those, I love Brock's candy corn. That's the thing. These have a little bit of a, I really don't know what, what does it taste like to you? I don't know. I, I mean, literally can't Tide put my pod? finger on it. Do they have a Tide Pod flavor? How come this AI doesn't have a Tide Pod heart? I'm gonna get candy. I'm gonna get Danny a whole bunch of candy candy hearts next year yeah. with different messages on them. You know these really aren't bad. It's uh, nineteen. They're not good though, Brent. <laughs> serving size is eleven pieces. Okay, sixty calories in a serving for eleven. You pieces. eat a whole for bag of those. Pieces, you know yeah. what your heart's gonna say? Flying whale. <laughs> terrible. Those things are terrible. Okay, so we're gonna talk a little bit about. NUA. We have had... Stop. Hold on, hold on. Before oh. we go... Oh, we want to talk about RMDs. RMDs, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Let's talk about what RMDs are and why it's going to be so tricky as to why people are still thinking... Still people have in their head 70 and a half. But go ahead. Yeah, so... Uh, and th this has been something that's been a moving target for some time. And so RMDs, which you hear commonly referred to as required minimum distributions are typically called RMDs or depending on where you have your funds... I've even heard MRDs, but required minimum distributions is the technical term for this. This is typically when you reach 70 and a half, at least previously this was a number, mm -hmm. that you would have to start beginning to wind down your IRAs or 401ks, tax deferred types of investment accounts. Right. Now, Secure Act changed it to 72. Secure Act 2.0 changed it to 73 that just went into effect this year. Yes. Um, now, there will be another change. But, wait for it, it will be in 2033 when they'll change it to 75. Don't ask me why they kept graduating yeah. this. It's such a confusing thing, but go ahead. No, it, it is. And so, you know, that's one thing that I think we, we're getting a lot of questions on. Like, hey, do I have to take my RMB this year? I got one year? yesterday. Yeah, like hey, 71. I just turned 71. I, am I? And yep. No, no, no. Yeah. yeah. And so this hasn't been talked about enough. And so just want to make you guys aware that you do have a little bit longer. So the good news here, though, is that this could be a good time to do what Rich was talking about earlier is take maybe start drawing down those accounts. Look at doing Roth conversions if you can do so. Um, there are some great benefits on this delay. Now, for many people, Rich, I mean, let's face it. What's the real impact to the majority of America? Probably not much because they're using no. these funds anyways to live on. But something to 
to consider. Now, if you pass away and your spouse inherits it, then your spouse is going to be able to pick these funds up just like they're their own, right? They don't skip a beat. But if a non-spousal beneficiary inherits these funds, they used to do what we would call a stretch IRA. And so meaning they could take these funds over their life, lifetime. Yeah, so now, if your child was, say, you, say your daughter or your son is on your IRA and say they're 20 years old and you pass away, they would have been able to take that money out over their life expectancy. So the distributions would have been minimal. Yeah. And that IRA would have gone on, you know, we used to call it the stretch IRA. Now I don't know what you call it, but it's not stretch. No. Well, now now they give you a 10-year window that you have to completely deplete the account. So it needs to be fully liquidated. And they've been giving some reprieve on required minimum distributions within this over the last several years. Now right. they're talking about, well, they're, you're going to be required to start taking that distribution mm-hmm. each and every year. And then by year 10, to have that account fully liquidated. And so be aware of this. The custodians should be calculating the required minimum distribution for you. That goes for, you know, all of these types of scenarios. But make sure that you don't overlook those things. Uh, so one client yesterday yeah. said to me the same thing. Oh, my gosh, I'm 71 and I need to take my RMD. I said, yeah, you do. So I said, oh, wait, I'm not. I'm just lying to you. You don't have to. But in your mind, you should. In other words, you should be looking to drain surgically that pre-tax account yeah. before the government has you do it. If Primarily when all your money is in pre-tax. You know, where, where you are, talk to your tax advisor. <clears throat> we have until the end of 2025, the 22 and 24% marginal brackets are going to squeeze closer. They're now, they're so, they're so wide, they're so expansive that you can do effectively stay within your tax bracket and move some money out of your IRA and start draining that account. Because we talk about diversification of accounts. In other words, when I retire and I want to live on, create a retirement paycheck and I want to buy certain things and I go to this one low sole account that I have, that's all pre-tax, everything I do, is taxed as ordinary income. Everything I do will tax my social security. Almost everything I do might push me into IRMA on our Medicare-based premiums, which means a higher cost for our healthcare. So start looking at pulling some money out. You could put it into Roth. You could put it into brokerage. Well, I've had some clients, Danny, when we do their goals, some that are coming up over the next few years and the way the market's done, we have taken those distributions from their IRA and we have moved them to online savings accounts earning about 4.5%. In other words, we're, we bucketed the goals. We said you wanted to buy the car in two years. We took the money from the IRA and we bucketed it. Mm-hmm. We know now that goal is satisfied. They have the money to buy the car when they need it. And, you know, so we had a front run. I had a front run some goals because of how the performance has been for them. The other issue that you're going to have, and this is what we want to talk about, net unrealized appreciation, where you can withdraw money from your 401k in a lump sum 
and have its appreciation taxed as long-term capital gains rather than ordinary income. So this is really important for people who have company stock. We do this quite a bit, right? Yeah. So this is some help from Ed Slot. Ed Slot is a tax specialist. Um, you are seeing more layoffs. We've seen this. 260,000 tech employees let go. That's layoffs.fyi. Google, Amazon, Microsoft. City's going to remove 20,000 jobs. I think, was it Morgan Stanley? Oh, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to fire hundreds from their wealth management division. There's one financial services firm. We always said that this would be a white collar layoff when it happened. And that's exactly what, what's happening. So people would say, I want to roll my money now. I want to roll it for my 401k. Move it into an IRA. But um, what if I have company stock? What if I own XYZ company stock? And I paid, I bought it in my plan and I paid, ten, my average cost basis is 10 bucks a share. Mm -hmm. And now it's 200 a share. What should I do? Well, first I gotta look at my intention for that stock. Do I really just maybe wanna sell it and diversify? Do I wanna hold some of it long-term? But the whole, this increasing stock value on company stock held in 401k plans presents this opportunity for you to pull some of the money out, pull the stock out actually, and move it into an after-tax account. And we're gonna talk about that when we get back. Stay tuned. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. And welcome back. Before we get into NUA, and I'm sure many people who probably listen to the show have done this, or with the help of a financial advisor and a great tax specialist, you also have to have a really good benefits custodian who understands the rules of NUA. And again, that's where you have really company stock, highly appreciated company stock in your tax deferred account. And that is going to be an issue for many individuals since the fourth quarter of last year. But overall, you might be in a career for 20 years and all of a sudden you go, my gosh. I mean, some of the clients that I work with with Exxon stock, the cost basis is absolutely insane. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that's that's a plan that we, we deal with often uh, where, you know, NUA is something that they actually do a really good job with. So they're they custodian. Are, they're really experts at that strategy. And well, they, it, um, it, their people, their benefits. It is, and because you them. can break down each individual lot 
And then you can determine, okay, where's where's your break-even point, especially if you have after-tax funds that it will pay for the taxes, essentially. And so there's a little bit of, um, you know, you've got to finesse these things. And so there's a lot of moving parts with it. Yes. So understanding the taxation, understanding how that all works can be extremely beneficial. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's really about how do you keep more money in your pocket? Right. It has to look at, you have to look at, first of all, you have to have a triggering event, a layoff, retirement separation from service, right? Reaching age 59 and a half, disability, whatever it is. There's got to be a triggering event and then how you take it is important. There's well, a you have to do it all at once. You have, you have to, do to do it, do it all at once year. in the one calendar year. So if, when you take the, uh, when you, when you so what I want to explain, it's like taking um, Brent's bag of chemical hearts, candy car, hearts, and instead of rolling, taking that and putting them into the trash, you keep one aside because I'm extracting from the bag the NUA heart. I mean, I'll put that stock in a brokerage. The sad, the unfortunate part is I'm going to pay ordinary income tax on that distribution, but at cost basis. So think about if I have 1,000 shares of Exxon at $2 a share, and I want to, now it's what, hundred and whatever, right? I'm going to be taxed at the thousand shares of two bucks as ordinary income. Hurts a little. But now I've got this asset in brokerage that could be, when I make a sale, taxed as long-term capital gain, and long-term capital gain rates are taxed at a lower rate, generally speaking, as ordinary income. So that's very smart. Now, what we do usually have, clients do, if they have the triggering event and they do have highly appreciated assets in the company stock, we can identify. There are, I did one the other two weeks ago, Danny, where we took some of the shares. We took the, and, and we worked we typically with the, take the very low with cost the basis most shares. lowest basis yeah. shares. And we extracted those. You don't have to move all of them. Well, I think we took about a quarter of those and we moved those to brokerage. We left the rest in the IRA because we are looking to diversify away from the position. Mm -hmm. So what we want to make sure is, and, and I don't see, I don't think Ed I put this in the article, but I want to know your intentions for the money that you're putting, the stock you're putting in the brokerage. For many people, they say, listen, I would like to hold my Exxon for a long period of time. It's got a good dividend. I like the management. And, and just use any stock as you're an example, right? You could have, had, you could have been in Hewlett Packard, whatever, HPQ, whatever it is. Okay, great. And I want to keep a piece of this for at least 10 years. Okay, but I have too much. Well, guess what we did? We, we sold the Exxon shares inside the IRA and diversified it kept the Exxon shares outside. So this is a really, with the market the way it's been, imagine if you had, if you own like, you were like a shareholder, you were like a NVIDIA or like semiconductor company or Microsoft, right? I bet these, these guys got to be like, oh, if yeah. they leave, that NUA has got to be going on all day because when Balmer was in, it was like having a clown in. I mean, the stock was dead, right? Um, yeah, what a difference. I was going to say something, but I won't. But yeah, I mean, just ridiculous. Okay. What a major move. So think about if you worked at Microsoft, besides all the stock options and everything else from a tax perspective, I'm isolating this event. 
what NUA opportunities you would have in some of these tech stocks. Amazing. Yeah. Well, I think this is for everybody that does own stock inside of their retirement plan. Just be aware that you do have these options out there. Um, in other words, just don't think that you should roll it all with company stock into another IRA. From that's right. There's another move you can make that might be more tax advantageous for you. And sometimes yes. it's not as it's not as cut and dry, and it's not as um, we're making it cut and dry here. Just well, as simple as, well, but simple but enough. like some plans, like like you mentioned Exxon, they do a really good job of of showing you each deposit <laughs> when it yes. was made. Each, each time that you purchase it. So you so understand you, yeah, all of it, right? That's great. Where some of them, it's almost like a fund. They just aggregate the numbers yes. and say, okay, here's your average cost, cost basis. basis. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of have to work from there. So you don't have as much flexibility, but it still can be beneficial. And so, you know, don't overlook that. I think that's really important. You know, one other thing, Rich, is that if people are going to retire mm-hmm. or, or let's say you're laid off and you're under 59 and a half, you may not want to just roll those funds over. Because you may be able to take that distribution out of the 401k if you need funds to live on. So in other words, if I need if I need to set a retirement paycheck at 59 and a half, I may not want to roll that. Correct. Why is that? Well, because if you need if you need funds, you can mm-hmm. take the funds out. Not always, but most of the time, if you're over 50 or 55, depending on your plan, they allow you to take distributions without having to pay that 10% penalty. Right. So. It may not be in your best benefit prior to doing so to roll everything over. Now, maybe you roll a portion. You say, these are going to be the funds I'm going to live on. I'm going to leave these here because you want more flexibility with your investment options. You want to be able to manage it differently than what the 401k allows. That's okay, but make sure you you kind of section off the amount that you're going to need to live on and keep it in that account. There are rules where you can roll it over. Say you're 55 and you want to roll it over, but... Well, but but they're a pain in the yeah. They don't give to you avoid as much the ten percent penalty. You don't have the same flexibility. So we generally suggest that you keep your plan there until it, you're at least fifty nine and a half. And, but and yeah. that that rule that Rich is talking about, Section seventy two T. So you would have to take equally and substantial like kind distributions for a period of five years or up until fifty nine and a half. Right. Um. And you know you can't deviate from that. No. So you've no got to be very, very careful. There's not much flexibility. Because you might, you might be taking out more money than you actually need. As opposed, and you lose that flexibility to take what you need and maybe stop. So I totally agree. But we had a great question on the, you want to talk about, we, we, as we're running out of time here, you want to go, you want to go through that question? Yeah, yeah. This is a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see here. So question was on the YouTube channel. So if, if you're not on the YouTube channel, go Get to the Real to Investment the Show Go hit subscribe, hit the like button. If you're watching, hit like. We appreciate you guys viewing and, and hanging out with us a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so it says, is taking out a 401k to your checking account, then putting that into a Roth, the same thing as a Roth conversion? Yes and no. Yes and no, right? <laughs> um, so so a couple things. Is that is that you're taking out just like a regular distribution? Um, Let's use a number. So say you want to take $25,000. Yeah. Danny, I want to take $25,000 out of my... IRA, yep. and I want to move it to. I want to move it to Roth. What's my problem? Well, the problem is if you take that, those funds out of the IRA or four hundred one k, put them into your checking account. Number one, if you want to contribute to that Roth, you're going to need one earned income. Number two, you're going to need to be under that income limit for contributions right. for a Roth. And you're only going to be limited to a, a smaller amount. So you're going to be able to put 7000 in this year. Correct. 
to that Roth IRA. So you would not be able to roll that full amount or convert that full amount. The better way would be to go directly from the 401k or usually it's going to be you're going to put it into the IRA and then do a conversion where you move the funds, move that 25 directly from the traditional IRA to the Roth IRA. And then ideally, we prefer you pay taxes out of pocket uh, because you want those funds to go further. Now we get specialized tax treatment on these Roth funds. So we want to hold those for a long period of time, let those continue to grow. And once we reach, you know, Medicare age, we don't have to worry about distributions that will impact your, your premiums. Um, We don't have to worry about social security taxation. We don't have to worry about taxes. And if you're like us and think that, Hey, this government is out of control with spending money, then, you know, what are they going to do? They're likely going to raise taxes at some point. So this gives you more tax flexibility further down the road. It does. And to Danny's point, if I'm going to pull $20,000 out of my IRA to Roth, I want I don't want to withhold taxes. So say I'm 53 years old and I want to move that 20 and I withhold taxes from that. First of all, I don't have all the money working for me. I have less. Yep, that's right. Right? And I... Correct me if I'm wrong here, but wouldn't that be subject to a distribution penalty? What's that? On that distribution for that tax? No, not on the taxes. If you're if you're you're younger than fifty nine and a half, yeah. Yeah. So, in other words, you want you want to make sure there's money from an outside source to pay the taxes on that on that move of the money from IRA to Roth. But it's something to absolutely consider because at the end of 2025, these tax brackets are going to change. The Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, I cannot imagine, with $1.1 trillion in debt service coming up for us, that taxes are going are not going to go higher and that that Tax Cuts and Jobs Act is going to sunset. Well, that's all we got. Holiday Monday, we might be playing the best of. But... Lance will see you here on Tuesday. You all take care. Have a great weekend.